history every day and organizing, which just defined me to a T. And I thought, well, you know, I would, that sounds like me. And so I decided to get into archives instead of teaching. Oh, great. So, so you got your, um, what, what was the degree to become an archivist? Um, I have a master's degree in history with a concentration in archival management. Um, but there actually is um, the uh, library science degree in MLIS with a concentration in archival management. And actually, San Jose just started an archives and records management program um, that's all online. Well, not all online. I think they do it online and in person. And um, so there are several different types of degrees that focus on archival management. Oh, yes. But, I myself am um, trying to get that specialization in my MLIS program as well. Yes, it's actually very interesting, and, and it's, it's interesting how the different fields um, have each decided to take on teaching the archival management um, courses. So, Yes, this interview um, live right now is actually going to fulfill one of my um, <laughs> assignments for school, is that we need to interview an archivist and find out all about what I'm finding out about you currently. So thank you so much for... Huh. We're killing two birds at one stone here. <laughs> that was good. Yes. And, um, so I'd like to know, what do you do currently? What does being an archivist entail? Um, what I do is I'm the archivist for the U.S. Navy CB Museum. What it entails is um, selecting and appraising um, documents and photographs um, for whether you're going to bring them into your collection, you um, arrange and describe them so that you can actually locate the information. And that includes creating a finding aid and, and um, putting everything in acid-free, lignin-free folders and interweaving everything, taking out staples and, and everything that does damage the documents. And um, then a lot of it, what I do is reference um, the number one clientele I have are um, veterans because they're usually trying to prove um, a claim with the, with the VA. And so in order to do that, they need to prove that they were in country. Well, one thing about the CBs is that, one, they work for the Navy. And um, according to the VA, everyone who's in the Navy is in a fleet off the um, coast. So they don't really understand that there is a brown Navy. They do... Um, they're like special ops, you have the SEALs, the CBs, the Riverines, um, Hospital Corps, you know, different um, aspects of the Navy either are onshore or attached to the Marines, and so they need to prove they were in country. Um, but I get really other different types of people who do research. They have, I've had uh, NASA came, I have, uh, the CBs went to Antarctica in the 50s, and actually they were there until 90, 1993. And um, Antarctica in 1955 is kind of like going to Mars. So they actually came and looked through my Operation Deep Freeze collection to actually get ready for the mission to Mars. They wanted to know what lessons learned, um, anything that they had picked up. So they went through, you know, that collection trying to get ready for the mission to Mars. But I also get, I get Army Corps of Engineers, CIA, Department of Justice, and lots of contractors who come and look at my collection. So, so um, what's your favorite or least favorite job responsibility? Um, my favorite is probably doing reference, and my least favorite is processing. <laughs> it's a lot of monotonous foldering, and so I like the organization, but 
you can only handle it for so long. The one good thing about my job is that um, I do everything. It's a one-man shop, and so there's nothing in the archival field that I don't do. And so you can always rotate and, and, and keep moving around if you get bored with something. You have a lot of stuff coming in um, daily? Um, I usually get most of the stuff that's coming in now is digital, um, but I do print out a lot of things because we st- we're still at that point where um, digital isn't as um, stable a medium, and you're not really sure how long it's going to last, so we're still printing out hard copies, you know, because all you have to do is have something erased and you've lost everything, you know, or lose your hard, you know, your hard copy or your um, external hard drive. And so um, I don't get a lot in. I probably get in a couple hundred linear feet a year. You want to explain to the listeners a linear feet term? Okay. Uh, Linear feet is actually um, any type, like a shelf. So it's the, the actual one foot down. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how deep it is. It's just the, the width. Um, a cubic foot is an actual a cube. So it's one foot by one foot by one foot. Where linear is just going straight along a line. It could be, doesn't matter how high it is or how wide it is. So most, um, a cubic, a linear foot is um, like one banker box, a record center box. That's, you know, basically one linear foot. So how long have you been in this position there? I've been there about seven years. I was hired right out of grad school to um, come in and they had, they'd had the archives since 1960, but they had really neglected it. They really weren't, the Navy wasn't putting any money into it and they had it, but they had historians in charge of it who were doing mostly just the reference. They weren't maintaining the archives themselves. So um, they actually hired me to come in and completely clean up. The collection at that time was about 13,000 linear feet. So it was a, and I have about a million photographs. I have glass lantern slides and videos and films and every type of medium. I have a special collection library. I have um, an amazing 19th century engineering collection, book collection. Um, and so I was hired to come in and to oversee um, the processing and the creation of finding aids, preservation, the whole thing. And I have about, I had about seven uh, archival technicians working under me. And we completely, we touched every single piece of paper, every photograph, and we organized it, created finding aids, and now we actually know where everything is, where the day I walked in, they didn't know where anything was. Oh, wow. So coming in straight out of a grad school, um, well, grad school's formal training, did you have informal training? Who was there to, sh- to give you the ropes when you got started? Um, actually, I'd done a lot of... Um, interning, volunteering at archives but while I was in graduate school and actually my last year of my bachelor's degree because I knew that's what I wanted to do, so I did an internship and I ended up loving it. So I worked at um, Cal State Channel Islands in the archives there for about six months and then I was hired to work on the San Fernando Valley History Digital Library Project at Cal State Northridge. So for about nine months, I was there, and we would go out into the community and make contact and digitize and write down all the metadata um, for the different um, different mediums. Because it was photographs, it was um, brochures, different types of ephemera, you know, um, booklets, brochures, all of that. And um, 
and all of that's online at Cal State Northridge. And then I worked processing um, the Los Angeles County uh, Federation of Labor's Right to Work collection at um, Cal State Northridge in the Urban Archives Center. So, and actually, from there, I got the job at the CB Museum. Oh, wow, through Northridge, you said? Yes. Well, that's good. So you liked all your previous internships, and this was a natural direction? Yes. It's one thing about archiving is either you get it or you don't. I can teach people to do what I need them to do, but it's it's very, you either get it or you don't, and I'm, I'm incredibly organizational. I'm very logical and analytical, and you just sort of see the patterns in the records. It's really, it's kind of weird, but they kind of talk to you, and so you know how to organize them with record groups and series and sub-series, and, and it sort of just came natural to me. Well, that's good, and you had a, you had a lot of experience before your position um, professionally, so that's really yes. great. Yes, it helped now. a lot. Oh, that's great. So then also, do you, do you mind explaining a little what uh, metadata is to our listeners? Oh, uh, metadata is um, different types. Um, there was a group called, um, they created this Dublin Core, and it was, I believe, 15 um, topics that they decided um, you should cover when you're, let's say you have a digital image, different things that you needed to cover, like um, the date, the title, keywords, um, uh, what the um, URL was or what the, you know, where you found it, what date you found it, um, any type of um, information about whether it be a photograph or a piece of medium. Once you've digitized it, you need to create that information. Otherwise, because you don't have the hard copy anymore, so you need to take everything that was on the hard copy and now transfer it into digital form so that it, it basically follows the, me- the um, digital co- the digital copy, um, and people don't lose that that information, that provenance that went with the image itself. That helps um, people find um, specific things in databases as well. Exactly. If you're looking for, let's put, you're looking for a keyword or a title or a city, and um, some people, it started with Dublin Core, but a lot of them, like the digital library I was working for, they had it up to, I believe, 26 different topics because they wanted to know what community it was, what city it came from, any of the donor, the creator. Um, they, they wanted more detailed information, you know, what collection it came from. Um, that way you knew exactly where the original copy came from and whether it was um, donated, what, you know, whether there was any more specific information about the image. So you didn't lose, like I said, the provenance. You're not losing the original creator information, and you're not losing um, where you found it. So uh, you did mention some of your least favorite job responsibilities. So, but what challenges do you face in doing your job? Um, right now, um, the, the, the number one was um, repairing that the 45 years of neglect. I'm still trying to piece together things because what they had was they had just people wandering, volunteering, or they had um, different low-level people, and they would just throw them into the archives and say, oh, here, and they would try to have them file. So I find things misfiled everywhere. I've got um, They wouldn't put things back. They would just put it on a shelf. So I've had the majority of the archives, probably about 95% processed, and I've got finding aids on everything, and it's just that last 5% that needs to be put back in its proper home. So that's probably my number one. And my other, my other one is we are actually moving to a new facility um, in about six months, and I need to move about 22,000 boxes in a specific order 
and put them in, back into that specific order over at the new location. Are they uh, temperature controlled? We are going to have temperature and humidity control over in the new building. Right now we are in um, two elephant Quonset huts and three butler buildings, which are kind of like but kind of like Quonsets, but they have a they peak at the top. And so it, there's no temperature or humidity control. There's no heat. There's no AC. There's there's nothing. And so just because we are on the coast, we are lucky that we it stays pretty cool and the humidity stays pretty high most of the time. Otherwise, the um, documents and the, especially the photographs would have been destroyed long ago. I used to throw away, when I first started this job, there were just, especially the negatives, um, they crinkle and they, they turn into, um, like they crystallize because the emulsion dries out and they just, they die. And so the image is lost. And I would just throw away things all the time because the temperature and the humidity control have to be maintained and it just takes, especially if you get something from a hot location, it's gone. It just dies, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's certain things you just can't repair. Oh, wow. So is this available to everyone to have access to, or who has access to your archives? We are open to the public. You just have to make a research appointment. Okay, and you said you've gotten everyone from NASA to historians to... Do you have any um, specific stories you would like to share? Um, or that, that Mars one was, or you said that. Yeah, the Mars one, I think, the Mars one is, is my coolest one. That's pretty so, interesting. Yeah. What about, I bet there's like film research that goes on there. I, yeah, I get a lot of um, people who are doing documentaries, and so different kinds of things. They want, I got the guy who wanted, who just did um, uh, World War II in color. Okay. He got, he got some of my stuff. So there's. You know, different types. I get people all the time who are who want to digitize the, the especially the film collection, uh, the photographs. I get. I have the basically the, the photographs and the documentation of the history of the shore establishment, which is actually the installations themselves. So I have a big chunk of that history, especially the World War II and early Cold War. So I get you know contractors because um, right now they're doing um, base realignment. And they're, they're, they're selling the land, and they're selling the buildings, and they're getting rid of the buildings and you know, reusing the land. And in order to do that, they need to know what the building was used for, what was on that piece of land, because 50 years ago, 65 years ago, they might have been using it as an ammo dump. And so they have to make sure it's clean before people can come use it again. So I get those people all the time. I get Army Corps of Engineers. You know, anybody who's being sued, Department of Justice. So I get, I had a, a Navy lawyer today, so because they're the Navy, uh, actually, Department of Defense is being sued um, by Dutch Harbor. And so they're, they're there looking for information to defend themselves. Oh, wow. And are there a lot of U.S. Navy archives around the U.S.? Um, there's only a couple. Uh, the main one is in, at the Washington Navy Yard. Um, that's the operational archives, and that's where the main archives are. We're actually a really odd duck. Most of the museums do not have archival collections, or they have very small archival collections. Ours was um, was actually begun as two separate entities. We had the museum, and then we had a uh, an operational archives, and they eventually merged the two, which is why we even have the ar um, archives. So 
Yeah, that's an interesting thing, uh, merging like archives and museum, because that's what we're talking about in some previous episodes of our digital future. We're saying, why can't maybe one building contain everything like a library and archive and a museum and everything together is like maybe the future of it all since it is moving more digitally. Exactly. Maybe less space and... Right, we're getting back to the point, point. everyone goes, oh, well, now that you've organized it, aren't you going to digitize everything? And it's, no, no, we're not, because you still want to retain the original copy, because, you know, that will, at this point especially, be maintained. You might lose your digital copy. We just haven't perfected preservation in the digital world yet. Yes, and we've talked, um, I believe, in class about the different setups for archives that some, they say, are more like a jail where it's very limited um, to how you can observe these items. So you do have, like, gloves and, like, lockers and right. people um, observing the people. Yeah, yeah, I was into the National Archives, and, 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 I, and I, I understand where they're coming from, and I understand that they, they have had theft and they have security issues and totally understand, but they were definitely watching me, which is fine, again, you know, and then there are others that are, you know, you they sort of shove you in this room and then they disappear and you're like okay you're just you're on your own and there's no gloves there's no you know any preservation of any kind they don't give you any guidance either so they just start you know ripping out staples or not ripping out staples and and they there's a good medium though how is it where you are it's a medium you know you need to use gloves when you're doing photographs and you know I let them take out staples if they know what they're doing. Otherwise, I take them out because um, I get I get the same researchers over and over. And so, you know, once they know how to take out a staple, these are people who do research for a living. They're usually pretty good. Um, but it's a medium. I don't I don't hound them and I don't watch over them. Oh, good. I want to remind everyone we're listening to Gina, our guest archivist today uh, from the U.S. Navy CB Museum, so, and I want to. Let everyone know if you have any questions, you can call up at 949-824-5824, or you could email me at zeba at kci.org. We could ask Gina a question for you over there, ziba at kci.org. And also, I want to let everyone know that we're here till 6 p.m. And again, it's the United States Navy CB Museum, and you guys have a website people can look at? Yes, it is um, www.uscbmuseum.com. And that's S-E-A-B-E-E. Yes. Yeah, I like the pictures of the, the CBs. That's, those are interesting designs. I bet those are cool collector's items. People come in probably just for images, vintage images. Yes, they do. In fact, um, what actually what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going digital. So I'm going to start, start putting on, up all types of digital images online. So that's next year. And that's just on your website that they go up on? Um, I'm, we're trying to figure out what to do. We may, I may end up putting them on Flickr because they're all public domain and it doesn't cost us anything. Oh, yes. Flickr, is, I think, has been used by, um, I know, our library here at UC Irvine. We have a Flickr for... Right. I know several museums. They're all, you know, with certain collections, there's no point. You're not worrying about copyright issues. You might as well just put them up, let people have access to them, and just go. You know, and our whole um, purpose is just 
is, is information, and so there's no reason. I know a lot of archives, they sell their images, so they don't want to do that, but our, everything we have falls under public domain, so we'd rather get information out to people because it actually makes our lives easier. Well, that's great, and um, I'm really interested myself specifically in film and media, visual studies type material. So you did mention you have um, a, a good film collection. Do you, can you tell us a little bit more about your you know, film and audio um, I mean, it focuses on the CBs, but then the CBs have been everywhere. They've been on Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima. They were at the landing at Normandy. Um, so we have original photos or original films, um, audio of, of the landings and different construction projects that they were doing during the war, um, Okinawa, everything. So that's one of the reasons why we get a lot of researchers um, for documentaries who come in and um, want copies of our films. Um, but we have Vietnam, you know, tons of, of mostly CB-related, but where the Marines go, the CBs go. Also, um, once again, for our listeners, so the CBs is a specific group of the, the Navy? The CBs are the Naval Construction Force of the U.S. Navy, and um, the officers that oversee them are the Civil Engineer Corps. So you have the engineers that oversee the, the construction guys. Is basically what it is. Oh, so they're making all the U.S. Navy construction. Right. They do Navy and Marine because the Marines um, don't, they don't have um, construction force. They don't have um, hospital corps or doctors, any of those kind of things. So um, the Navy provides all those because the Marine Corps is part of the Navy. So then they're probably down in at Camp Pendleton a lot as well? Um, not so much. They go down there for training every once in a while, but um, whenever they're in country, um, the CBs, especially like right now in Afghanistan, the CBs actually go in ahead of everybody because if there's no housing, if there's no latrines or mess halls, um, you can't really move in 10,000 men. So the CBs actually were sent in before Obama even mentioned, oh, by the way, we're going to Afghanistan. They were sent in three weeks before that. So I knew they were going to, everyone was switching to Afghanistan before it hit the news. Because when CBs get moved, guess what? That's where we're headed. And they sent them in, and all they've been doing for the last year is construction uh, of an infrastructure, actually a year and a half, for an infrastructure for the Marines and the Army as well as the Navy. Well, that's so interesting. So you, you guys know, you have a heads up in, of where the Army and the Marines are going, and then, of course, the Navy as well. Right, kind and of, sometimes. The, the Air Force as well. It's such a big group of um, military, and the CBs are the first to go. CBs and then Army Corps of Engineers, and the Air Force has their own as well. But some, when there's so much construction to do, you just end up doing whatever's necessary for whichever branch needs it. That's really interesting. And you mentioned there's going to be... a move of the facility so if everyone wants to check it out you have until October 1st is that correct? Um, September 30th we're closing so we'll be open until 4 o'clock September 30th and you're located around Ventra Oxnard you mentioned right we're located at the Oxnard Marina basically right on at the um, naval base Ventura County and Port Wainimi that's very cool so hopefully our listeners have a chance, if not this year, then 2011 fall. So six right. months it takes you guys, right? It's going to take us about a year to move and then put up the exhibits. And then we are, we're figuring about October, but definitely sometime in the fall of next year. Oh, great. That brings us to the second half of our show. So we'll take a quick 
musical break, and we'll, we'll definitely um, have a lot more to ask you, so hang in there, Gina, please, and then we'll be right back. KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are back on Our Digital Future with archivist Gina from U.S. Navy CB Museum at Port Wainimi. Uh-huh. Yes, thank you for staying <laughs> with us for our second half. We're here 5 to 6 p.m. every Wednesday on Our Digital Future. We had a caller call in during our five-minute song break, and he had a question about archiving digital photos, you know, personal photography of the home and everything. We have mostly everything on your laptop or computer. And how do you, he says, well, do you print it out or do you, he doesn't trust a flash drive, you know, how do you store What's the best way of archiving is his question. Um, there's two things you can do. Well, one, the first is definitely, one, get them off your computer. Get, get them off your camera. Don't leave them on your laptop because if your, or your computer because if your computer dies, it's going to take everything with it. And you may not get it all back. I tend to keep everything on an external hard drive, and sometimes I back up my backup. So I'll have, like, two... And at work, I have three external hard drives with basically the same information on all three. That way, in case one dies, I still have all the information. Right now, they um, even the National Archives is sort of leading the way on electronic records management um, preservation. And we're getting to the point where we need to find some sort of medium or way to preserve digital images or digital records and we haven't reached a point yet where there's time they, they're thinking well magnetic tapes there's um there should be a 200 year you know um preservation at that time um and that's if the magnetic tapes last cds 10 years at best but then i've gone in to use a cd and it's just been wiped um uh, the thumb drives don't last. Get everything off your thumb drive because they could just easily die. Um, they've, they haven't perfected what they're planning on doing. And the big one is not so much um, what you're saving it on, but in what format. If you're using Adobe or um, for images, if you're using TIFF or JPEG, um, that's great now, but what's the newest, latest, greatest? In 20 years from now, is there still going to be software to read that TIFF file? So you need to be able to upgrade um, and your medium all the time. So you're, you're um, essentially in a, a never-ending cycle of updating your um, software and updating each one of your images and in each file to the newest, latest, greatest. It's kind of like, well, uh, if you have a document that's in Word 2003, well, now we're already up to Word 2010. So you need to open it and then save it in Windows in, um, in Word 2010. But you need to do the same thing with all of your images. And it kind of gets to that. That's a lot of images that you're constantly saving and constantly upgrading to the newest medium. So you... It's, it's this never-ending cycle, and actually the National Archives is looking into their, they've put out a contract to have to create a system that actually does that automatically. So it is migrating all of your data to the newest software automatically. It'll go in there, the sec, you know, when something new comes out, and it will save it in a new medium, or, you know, it'll migrate your, all of your data. I personally, if you really want to save them, I would 
um, I wouldn't print them out on your own printer because um, the color will start to fade, especially if, unless you're even if you're doing it on the really nice glossy paper. I would worry about them um, eventually it's fading and the photo dying. I still would, you know, especially ones that are really important to you. I would get them printed out on glossy paper, you know, to send them out to CVS, Costco, whoever you use, you know, and get them printed out, you know, and you can do a mixture of the two. That's true. And then special, you know, what, what do you, you could even use Flickr as a personal you, archive. You can use Flickr as a personal archive. That way at least they're still there, you know, but once it, it's up on the web, it's now, you know, public domain it's not i mean it doesn't fall under public domain but you know anyone can use it anytime they want and not give you any credit and use it in any way um so it's up to you whether you want all of your images shared or saved that way there's also photo bucket and different uh like picasso different all kinds of different photo websites there's great websites there's different programs that that you can save your materials into it's just um, it's that constantly having to migrate your data, and it, you know, eventually they're going to come up with a software that actually uh, upgrades your your um, your data automatically. And as long as they've got that going, because we all have those five and a quarter inch floppies in our archives that actually have information on them, but it's locked because not only do we probably not have the software to um, read what's on it we don't have the hardware to actually put the disc into to actually read it so it's a combination so archives and museums end up um, being computer museums at the same time because we need to save the old hardware in order to read the old software in order to read certain documents that's the worst part about going digital and going electronic is we are losing access to the materials that we've now put in electronic format that's so true. At the UCI Science Library, I know we have some medical films, which are not even VHS. They're before VHS, so it's a right. different type of huge... Mm-hmm. Type like pneumatic or something. Yeah, I don't even know what they're called. And we have like one or two machines that work, and I got it to work one time, but then mm-hmm. it's so old, we just, we're just just giving it up. And how do you transfer that? You can't really. It's from like 1970 um, ER examples right and so it's cool and there are companies at. there are companies that actually um specialize in transferring data um they transfer you know 16 millimeter film or vhs um but they also have to have the machine so while they might have some machines in order to transfer it to beta or dvd or whatever they might not have let's say a umatic not everyone's going to have a umatic machine to read that type of tape and so there are there are places that specialize in it but trying to track them down um is very hard and actually the the film academy or any type of film preservation um society or conferences they usually have a list on their websites of um places where you can go for preservation of different types of medium um so if it's digital again there's vimeo and youtube and different right websites like that as well but you know especially film like um now there's the high quality high def so that's even larger file size to compress and put for streaming right you know i save everything all my photographs everything that i digitize i save at 
um, high DPI um, in a TIFF format because it's archival. It doesn't have any compression. When you start compressing, you know, your format, then it starts pixelating the larger you make it. So you save everything as a TIFF, but that makes my um, um, each document ginormous. They're like 50 megabytes each. Oh, so they better be good pictures. And, and my, if I digitize them in that format, they're meant for preservation level in perpetuity or as long as that, that format lasts. So they're meant to be that big. And so that's why I have external hard drives um, because I can fill up an external hard drive. I can fill up a terabyte in a couple of years. So I have a new question. So you've been at this um, over seven years for sure now. And yeah. so what advice would you give to a new archivist? Um, definitely challenge yourself. Keep, you know, take new classes, attend every seminar. If there's a free class, if there's any type of Society of American Archivist class, um, definitely expand your horizons. Um, I'm definitely headed towards like the multimedia. So even though I have a degree in archives and in history, I'm I headed towards more Photoshop, more, um, everything's really going digital. Definitely head towards digital preservation, um, that type of knowledge. I, I went out and I looked up um, the different jobs for archivists and I found out what they were looking for and they were looking for high tech, all, all these computer classes. And so I just went out and I spent any free time I had taking as many classes as I could and basically just pumping up my resume. So... Was there a lot of uh, people interviewed, or you probably don't know for your position now? It's a highly competitive field. I don't think there's a lot of archiving spots open in California, maybe. There's not. It's, it's, it's a definitely a specialized field. There aren't very many of us to begin with, and there's even less that pay really well. Um, so every position, you usually you'll come up against, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. Oh. Yeah. So how about some um, personal reflections on what you've learned and would like to learn regarding archival theory and practice, although I'm sure you've already learned it all. Uh, I haven't learned it all. Like I said, I'm, I'm headed towards, we're headed towards, my, my organization is headed towards electronic, you know, uh, web. We're headed towards that, the social media and getting out as much of our information as we can. Um, to the public. So um, I definitely want to take more multimedia, Photoshop, InDesign, podcasting classes. I'm looking towards um, transferring the video and, and doing some really neat things, you know, with that type of medium and putting it online so that people have access to it. So that's definitely um, sounds like the mission of your archives, the institution slash environment slash mission of your specific archives is just so to get to the public, have, have the public have access to it. Yes. We're trying to get as much out there to the public as possible, and we know that they can't all come and do research, nor do they all want to come and do research. Usually they just want to know what Grandpa did or what pa, you know, their dad did or you know, to relive a memory you know, by looking at a photo. And, it, they, and most of them are headed towards just they just want to do that online. They want to do it in their house. Nobody wants to go and do research anymore unless you really have to. Oh, yeah, and that's why everything's like people say Google it or Wikipedia it, and that's that's what um, leads to the term infobesity is like the, you know, overload of right. not, not low-quality information. Exactly. You're reaching the point where 
you know, I actually, I, w- I remember taking a class, and I was talking to this kid outside my class, and he goes, oh, where did you get that information? I said, the library. I'd actually gone and done research. And he goes, oh, I couldn't find that online. We've reached the point where a lot of people don't even know where the library is, much less do they go inside of it. Um, they, and none of them do primary research anymore, or where they actually go into and actually touch the original documents. Instead of saying, wow, you know what, this guy wrote this book about this topic, I can say, look, I touched the original document, and I read the original document. I know what the original document says. Um, and and we've, we're losing that primary um, resource, research, and because everyone's just, oh, it was on the Internet, so obviously it was true. They're not actually going out and finding, and it's not everybody, but we, we've reached this, oh, we don't have to. It's all accessible online. If it's not online, then I don't care about it. Even photos are not necessarily primary with Photoshop, you never right. know. Exactly. So you're, you're losing that initial going out and finding it yourself, and a lot of people are just trusting what's on the Internet, and you should never trust what's on the Internet unless it's cited, unless you know where it came from and you can actually back it up in another way. That's why libraries and archives and museums are all great facilities, and everyone should definitely take your free time and you know, just for fun, even if you don't have a specific purpose, there's always something you're going to come across that's interesting. Yes. I find interesting things every day. I'll be looking for some, somebody will ask me a question, and I'm off on a hunt, and I read different types of interesting things about Okinawa, the landing at Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal. I, it's a never-ending resource that you just sort of stumble across very interesting pieces of history. So did you just fall into this a specialized subject, or was this something you've always had an interest in? No, totally fell into it. Just walked into, um, oh, archive sounds interesting, sounds just like me. And I just really, I, I got this job, and it was supposed to be a minimum of three years. And so I thought, okay, I could do anything for three years. And I ended up loving their, their history. It's actually very fascinating because wherever, you know, Wherever the Department of Defense goes, the CBs go. And their, their other specialization is they do civic action and humanitarian. So like the earthquake in, in Haiti, the, the CBs were one of the first to go in. Um, the CBs also do um, amphibious construction, so, and they do also underwater construction. So they sent the underwater construction teams in. They sent the amphibious team in as well as one of the mobile construction battalions in to help build things and get you know, stuff going and to clear the, um, the harbor. The Seabees were um, really instrumental in helping clear the harbor of all the debris oh, so wow. that they could get ships in and get um, aid yeah, to Haiti. Underwater construction, that sounds really interesting. Yes, it's actually um, the SEALs, they actually they had underwater demolition teams during World War II, and they actually broke off into two different directions. One is the SEALs, and the other is the underwater construction teams. Oh, wow, and then that's also like with dealing with submarines. Right, like um, the one thing they do is um, they always check out the USS Arizona, the memorial, and they go out there and make sure it's, you know, it's still doing okay. One, that the USS Arizona is doing okay, and they, they check on, you know, it's the rust and, it, you know, it's deterioration, and they also keep track of the memorial itself so that, you know, to make sure that it stays up to date. That's what they, And they send the underwater construction teams in to look at that. You mentioned that some public just comes in to see about what their grandfather did. Do you personally have any relatives that are in your archives? Uh, no, not at all. Okay, that's very interesting. If you did, that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but so then you weren't necessarily into um, military you know, research previously at all? 
No, I like military history, but it was not my specialty, no. If you had like a, not to say this isn't your dream specialization, but if you had like a dream archive you could work in, what, what, what kind of subject do you think it'd be? Um, I, I don't know. I like like the Smithsonian, I find very interesting, the National Archives. Where are the National Archives? Um, the National Archives, they have two main ones, Archives 1 and Archives 2, in Washington, D.C. And um, then they have regionals that are uh, located around the country. And the two closest are in Riverside and San Bruno. Oh, wow. So Riverside. We should definitely all check out that one day if that's national. Yes. It's, it's regional, they, so they keep, like... Um, California, Arizona, Nevada, um, they keep that area of records. So interesting to talk to you, Gina. I'm so glad for this opportunity here on Our Digital Future. And um, I've learned a lot about archival, especially, at, I'm, I don't know, probably a lot of people that go in there already know about the CVs, but I, I didn't know about them before. So this is very interesting for our listeners. Hopefully they can have time to do more research down there at once you guys are reopened in um, fall 2011 and then once great thank you for asking me oh you're welcome and then once again um if you'd like more info about um the u.s navy cbs museum at wainimi um port wainimi there's a website again do you want to give that out it's um www.usnavycbmuseum.com Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this, and we'll have the MP3 up later for everyone to share with their friends, and hopefully everybody goes to an archive soon. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll be here next week. So I want to say goodbye again to Gina, and we'll talk to you later, KUCI listeners. Thanks for listening. Here's our last song of the show.